Before beginning this episode, I would like to put out a little blurb. If you would like to support us, we are now on camaraderie.co. Camaraderie is a website that functions like Patreon, but is run democratically, and more of your dollar goes directly to creators. Media criticism doesn't always pay the bills, but with your help can help fund our project. Thank you for your support. Hello, and welcome to the Biting the Hand podcast. We're your hosts, Nax and Jules. Join us as we react to media with queer subtext, queer cult classics, and other aspects of the queer canon. We discuss movies, television, and music, as well as larger trends in the entertainment industry. Join us as we discuss things that are considered biting the hand that feeds you. Instead, we ask, what happens when we do? A little like content warning for for anyone who's a fan of David Bowie. Like we're about to shit on him so hard, uh, <laughs> and we're saying this out of love to to you, the person who is a David Bowie fan, but also like just as people who appreciate art and don't appreciate people who <laughs> appropriate queer culture for commercial means. The history of Jack Ferry and how it was stolen by a fascist. <laughs> These are the alternate titles for the movie that we're going to talk about. It doesn't really matter what a man does with his life. What matters is the legend that grows up around him. Brian Slade was the wildest rock star to come out of London. The biggest thing since sliced Beatles. But that wasn't enough. We set out to change the world. What happened? Who did it? And why? Next week is the anniversary of the whole shooting incident. One journalist is about to look into the mystery. I was trying to contact you about a story. From the moment Brian Slade stepped into our lives, nothing would ever be the same. He was, in the end, like nothing he appeared. Right after everything crashed, Brian seemed to get lost in the lie. Came someone else. Miramax Films invites you to throw away your expectations and take a magical trip back to the 70s when the glam scene rocked London and the outrageous fashions, music, and behavior shocked the world. 70s London or how dandy stole the world? Ooh. And, um... Fangirls and fan club culture, how men sold their own gender abhorrence to women to appease them. <gasps> oh, yeah, See, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. That's really good. So, um, yeah, welcome welcome back to Biting welcome. the Hand. We're going to get spicy today. Oh, we're going to bite so many hands today. We're going to bite so many faces off. So do we want to? Do you want to introduce? Do we want to introduce each other, Nax, our on the ground seventies knower of things, covering David Bowie Stan, um, <laughs> and current advocate for people trying to escape fan culture in general. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and current That's- David Bowie hater. <laughs> Oh, uh, David Bowie hater until I die. 
<laughs> yeah. Julia, I think, will always be a David Bowie hater, and especially now. <laughs> well, Julia's looking very glittery today. Oh, yes. uh, Julia is a, a great visual artist, and um, I'm sorry, but you rock the, um, sorry, I'm going to say this, but you're rocking the thin white Duke hair color. Oh my gosh. I totally am like it <laughs> totally inadvertently because I'm between, um, dyeing my hair. And so it's all like bleached out right now. So yeah, very <laughs> thin white Duke realness. Yeah. Well, it's so funny, too, because the last, the, the Lady Gaga episode, we're talking about, like, we're talking about the fame, we were talking about uh, David Bowie's rock and roll uh-huh. suicide, and yeah. I'm like, I don't know anything about David Bowie, like, I can't say either way. Oh, boy. Now I know stuff about David Bowie, and I'm here to fight. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. we're talking about David Bowie, um, but we're not but... actually talking about David Bowie. We're talking about the 1998... Todd Haynes film Velvet Goldmine not to be confused yes. with the actual glam rock band Velvet Underground right <laughs> so well Velvet Goldmine is also a David Bowie song which is mm-hmm. kind of confusing because it's also not in the movie <laughs> right yeah so I don't know if you know this but Todd Hayes originally wanted all like all Bowie songs for the character to sing and Bowie was like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because um, I did know that, but like, you know, for the people, yeah. not everyone knows that. Um, but I know that Todd Haynes basically said in an interview, um, like years later, and he probably, I don't know if he said it at the time, but he was mm-hmm. like, Bowie rejecting, um, you know, the direct story of his life mm-hmm. and his music really kind of opened the movie up to become like a more universal kind of like coming of age but also like a reflection on kind of a a timeless yet dated (laughs) commentary on like fan culture and um, underground culture and how it makes its way to the mainstream in general um so I think I think it I think it works a lot better. It works a lot better. As I like would a say that Yeah, I would say that I kind of hate biopics. Like biopics are fine, but they're kind of schlocky and I think part of it is because they're not far removed from their subject matter and it's not as creative. Yeah, or... and it's like usually you kind of they fall into the the um this awful place of instead of trying to tell the life of the people that it's about it's like they're trying to mythologize the people that it's about because usually the people that it's about are involved with the project so already it's like you're not gonna get um you're not gonna get um an honest portrayal of these people's lives I'm going to give some factoids. Mm-hmm. As our resident um, expert of the 70s. So the director, Todd Haynes, uh, he studied semiotics at Brown. And that's kind of obvious when you watch the film. It's mm. just signs and symbols. Mm-hmm. Haynes is openly gay and he's an important figure in new queer cinema. 
He's like one of the big ones. He has other films that are either about rock music or LGBT stuff. And sometimes it like crosses over a lot. Like he has a really strange film that's about Karen Carpenter that's only filmed with Barbie dolls. Mm -hmm. And And we get a little taste of that. In this yeah, movie with like a scene between two Barbie dolls and it's so great. Amazing. It's amazing. It's so, <laughs> it's so relatable. He also has a movie that's just about Bob Dylan where Bob Dylan is played by like I think five different actors. Mm. Um, so it's like a different way of like looking at what a biopic can be and I really like well, let's talk about the 70s. So yeah. one of my big points and you brought it up too is that there's kind of a sense in this film of dual identities. Mm. And I put dual identities, conservatives in clown clothing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So it's, de- it's dealing with the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. So we have this like cross, but even the 90s of like when it came out. But in the film itself, it's like time a little bit of time travel from Christian Bale's character who goes visiting his past in his teenage years of the 70s so there's that kind of like crossover generation happening I guess a brief history of glam glam isn't technically a genre right so in the term glam there can be many different like styles and genres of I don't know, pop music? It's pop music. Yeah, um. <laughs> it's the thing that struck me, so you made this glam playlist, and it really mm-hmm. struck me how stylistically diverse it is. Yeah. And how, like, you see the precursors of, like, punk and prog rock and yeah. all these different genres that are really just kind of being synthesized. You know, this is kind of their origin. Glam is like this all-encompassing kind of, I guess it's a movement. It's kind of like new wave. Like it's hard to tell like when it starts Mm. and when it stops. And like historians can pick apart different aspects of glam. And I've watched a million rock documentaries that claim (laughs) so-and-so started it and -and so-and-so started it and blah, blah, blah. But basically most like art movements, it's a like amalgamation of many different things. Um, It started out of like pop art um, Mm -hmm. of the 60s. So it's coming into the 70s um, and we're in this generation who's kind of tired of like anti-war songs, tired of hippies, tired of Vietnam. We have in the UK, we have the troubles that are happening. Mm -hmm. And in the US, like there's Nixon and we've come out of the civil rights movement and everybody's just kind of tired with all of that. You know, part of me wants to call it a frame narrative because it kind of is, but also kind of isn't because the movie itself, uh, the format is very like surreal and dreamlike. Um, So it does kind of like buck any you know narrative convention of like frame narrative but um basically i guess we could like give a a very broad overview of the plot of this movie and it's so funny because like 
Christian Bale's yeah. character is kind of like an everyman, so I'm literally yes. just gonna call him Christian Bale because I don't remember it's his name. It's just Christian Bale. Yeah, it's just him. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's just Christian Bale. His, I I actually do know his character's name. It's He's a journalist from the Herald. Yeah, um, I his, can't do the accent. Yeah, his <laughs> his character's name is Arthur Stewart, and every time he says it in the movie, I swear to God, he's saying Martha Stewart. <laughs> I'm Arthur Stewart. Oh, seriously. <laughs> and like the accent. I'm like, Christian, like, stop. <laughs> Generally, this film is about um, Arthur Stewart, um, who was a journalist in 1984. <laughs> I know, right? Um, doing a story about the staged assassination of glam rock star Maxwell Demon. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, sorry, Brian Slade as Maxwell Brian Demon. Yeah. Um, and, but what happened to Brian Slade? Right. Um, <laughs> basically, it's the 10-year anniversary, and so his paper is sending him um, to, uh, you know, research what, what happened. Um, and as he's kind of digging into the research of... Uh, 70s glam rock culture he is kind of taken back to when he was a uh a youth a young lad yes in uh 1970s manchester and london um Mm -hmm. and his personal connection to glam rock as a disclaimer (laughs) like neither of us really know that much about oscar wilde um, yeah. But this film deals with Oscar Wilde a lot. It, it heavily relies on the iconic figure yeah, of, of Oscar, Oscar Wilde. Wilde. And it, like he he like it's like implied that he's literally an alien orphaned from space. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's like yeah, it's very much like centered on the experience of like a dandy. I think I want to kind of start off our analysis with just saying like there's this quote from a picture of Dorian Gray about how he envisioned his life as if history was like a recitation of his life and that he has lived the experiences of all these historic figures Mm. and I feel like that's really kind of at the heart of this movie it's like it really is really blurs the line between what is your experience and how your experience is shaped by your own imagination of public figures and their lives Mm -hmm. Especially um, through artists that yeah. you really, especially if you're a fanboy. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting too because it's like you go from something like both austere and commercialized and very conformist of the 50s and then you kind of go into the 60s where people are just kind of figuring out that they can break out of that you know, super conformist mold. Yeah. Um, but the hippie culture was still kind of like, well, let's shed this, you know, commercialism and let's just like commune with nature and shit. Um, but meanwhile, kind of really not, um, not really doing that. Um, Like, just, like, buying Volkswagens and um, polluting the environment with them. Yeah, and, like, just, you know, buying a lot of Beatles stuff and, like, buying stuff to be mod and, like, you know, buying drugs. (laughs) 
think that kind of leads into a major theme of this movie is appropriation. And both in the movie Velvet Goldmine and also like in interviews from Todd Haynes and I think interviews from Bowie himself. I don't quote me on that because I don't know. Um, Probably. I, I don't have the, the the catalog of knowledge of David Bowie I don't think interviews he's, that you I don't do, think he but... specifically said that he, like, hates hippies, but there are songs. I mean, throughout his whole career, he constantly makes songs that are anti-protest songs. Yeah. There you go. So, I think a lot of people who were really involved in the glam rock movement saw the hippie movement as super hypocritical. And so it was like this this embrace of like glamour of like camp. The late 60s to the 70s is really when camp like finds a foothold kind of in, explodes a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like this theatricality that hippies just didn't have. You know, hippies yeah. hippies had the energy, but it was still very like chill vibes, dude. Like let's just <laughs> like it's just like sit in a field and like drop acid and like yeah glam is a little more violent yeah yeah um so it definitely has um big influences obviously from andy warhol and the velvet underground who are a little more like aggressive for the Mm. 60s um and then also the doors like jim morrison is Mm. a huge influence on glam rock just like his whole vibe is mm. kind of like that, that like leather, yeah. very slick look. Um, it's kind of what a lot of glam rockers are trying to emulate. Yeah, and I think I, I heard someone kind of connect glam with um, like acid rock, but acid yeah. rock was still like very much part of the hippie movement. And mm-hmm. um, I think the Velvet Underground did a show in San Francisco, like with an acid rock band and everyone just fucking hated them because they were like what is this this is like loud and like there's so much going on but it's and that happens in the movie exactly exactly and i love that that it's like um yeah yeah so that's um kurt wild uh, yeah it's ewan mcgregor it's ewan mcgregor yeah and he's playing this like iggy pop slash lou reed character Mm -hmm. um who's playing for a bunch of hippies like throwing himself around and putting on oil and like like like, covers himself in glitter and then like Mm -hmm. fake jerks off this glitter can (laughs) and it's like it's so and it's like this super manic energy that the hippies like hated they were like no dude we just want to chill and like um I think it really kind of tapped back into like original rock, like rock mm-hmm. from the 50s or sorry, yeah. rock and roll because rock and roll is different than regular rock. <laughs> I hate. Or pro- prog rock is yeah. different than regular rock. Right. But it's like. New wave is different. Yeah. So like <laughs> rock and roll is still kind of based in um, rock and roll was still like it was like literally just like copying off of black artists mm-hmm. um and how 
you know, uh, rhythm and blues and, um. You even see that in, in, like, bands like Led Zeppelin, mm, or just, like, that's, like, yeah. a blues Yeah, band. and, like, the that's, Rolling like Stones. Like a rock and roll, but, yeah, they're, yeah. like, the Stones kind of are glam, and I would have put them in a glam category, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't, it's, like, again, like, what do you categorize as glam, like, Mick Jagger sometimes would wear glitter oh, and right. suddenly, like, paint, like, blue on his face. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> so, like, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, um, they're very much seen as, like, part of the glam scene, but I I don't really view them that way. They're not um, really glam, but I they're, would say. But they kind of are, so it's, yeah, like, it's yeah. everything it's and nothing. That's rock and roll, whatever. dude. That's rock. Rock is everything, <laughs> everything and nothing. Is- god baby (laughs) (laughs) i guess we should go back to um brian slade aka maxwell demon and i i think they do a good job of kind of like mirroring uh how bowie kind of came up Um, yeah they do brian slade aka maxwell demon is like so directly david bowie aka ziggy stardust that it's like it's not even funny they're literally hitting you over the head with it like (laughs) like he he loves he he loves um little richard and he's Mm -hmm. like singing tutti frutti which is gay icon like tutti frutti little richard does not get get enough credit I i like to put it on I had no distinction. I love to put it on. I like to shine. In you, fact, I think everybody's supposed to do their own thing. This is what you call doing your own thing time. Do you always dress like that? Or? Every day. I go to the grocery store like this and people turn around. When I walked in the airport here in London today, a man dropped his cup of coffee. <laughs> I notice you're wearing makeup. Do you wear makeup? Yes, I do. All I the know time? that. Yes, you're supposed to wear makeup. Just, you know, just like when you to- toast your bread. Yeah. I put sugar in your coffee. You're supposed to add a little touch to it. Also, the <laughs> young, yeah, the young Brian Slade. Uh, in the film, he's like introduced to theater. The drag actor that he walks in on is Lindsay Kemp. Who uh, is in the... real life, mm-hmm. was yes. his mime instructor. Lindsay Kemp is like a huge influence on glam. And Bowie specifically. And Bowie specifically. And he's in so many Bowie documentaries. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was in love with him. He came in the room and he was and, beautiful. Uh, David Bowie was in the audience one night as a 19-year-old boy. He came to my dressing room and uh, he was like uh, the Archangel Gabriel standing there. And I was like, you know, Mary. I didn't fall on my knees <laughs> at that time. And uh, I it was love at first sight. He expressed the desire to work with me, to learn from me. And at the time I was teaching See, like, okay, dance Lizzie, okay, whatever. You slept with him, chill. Um, he also, he's also a choreographer. He helped choreograph uh, a lot of, like, Kate Bush stuff. Mm. Gay icon. Yeah. Lindsay Lin- Kemp. Lindsay Kemp is... Being a drag actor. Yeah, is a drag performer. Um, I don't know what... Beacon, I don't know. <laughs> that, yeah. That Bowie... Muse? Yeah, that, that Bowie stole a lot from. Stole from, um, yeah. You see that in a lot of documentaries, or it's very unfortunate because either artists like that will be like oh i'm so glad to have like given him this to help him succeed Mm -hmm. like i'd help and i'm like no he's ripping you off like straight up 
him and um he had a former lover in berlin probably many of them mm. but she was also a drag performer romy hogg Trans showgirl, amazing. Um, totally like ripped off a whole performance of hers for a music video. Boys keep swinging, which he just talks about in this song how it's just so great to be a boy while he's like ripping off a trans woman the whole time. And she's like, it's great. I loved him. We were in love. It's fine. And I'm like, girl, 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 girl. No, 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 no. Yeah. The lengths that people will go to to justify the awful behavior of twinks. People, people, I, or, well, I, I should say specifically queer people love to justify shitty behavior yeah. from twinks. They're like, oh, I love this twink to just yeah. like steal everything. Yeah, from skinny me. white boy. Oh my gosh, transcendent. You stole that from me, but transcendent. It's like, come Farts. on. Farts. <laughs> <laughs> Sickening. So, um,. Well, so in that line, we should talk about Jack Ferry. Jack Ferry! <laughs> My fairy boy! <laughs> yeah, so Jack Ferry is a non-speaking character. And I feel like that's really symbolic for, like, the people that we were talking about of these queer figures who, you know, they lived this. They lived this mm -hmm. theatrical camp glam life. Yeah. And these, you know, mostly straight dudes just stole all their shit. And, yeah. and these people were just kind of, like, discarded. We know so much of their iconography, yet have never heard them speak. I guess this is also a good time to kind of introduce, like, this reoccurring um, symbol... Um, visual metaphor oh, of the, the jewel yeah the i call it yeah the queer talisman, queer talisman <laughs> inter yeah. inter uh intergalactic queer imagination channeler mm -hmm. um yeah. and i think it's interesting because it's only until the end it's never given to someone it's always like found or taken or well like yeah I guess not really, but stolen. Yeah. So in the very beginning, we see oh, this like yeah. corny ass UFO flyby, and then it's Oscar <laughs> Wilde with like this right. little emerald brooch talisman um, on him, and so it's like, oh, yeah. Oscar Wilde is a alien. He came from outer space or whatever. <laughs> Superman. And he's like wearing it and he's like, I want to be a pop idol. And it's like, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a pop idol. Yeah. <laughs> then it cuts to like this. Young Jack Ferry gets beat up. Yeah, he's getting beat up by kids yeah. in his grade or, you know, whatever. And he finds the little talisman in the mud. It's like a direct symbol or like 
you know, metaphor for how queer art and imagination and joy oftentimes comes from strife and hardship Mm -hmm. and like literally digging it out of the mud, you know, goes to the beginning where it's like all these glam rock kids in the street running to catch this Brian Slade concert. Play um, Brian, you know, Well, I thought it was really interesting that it's like they have this thing where um, one of the girls goes like, oh, that's Jack Ferry. And then the other girl goes, who's Jack Ferry? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, that's like, that's it. That's like the epitome of like so much of this movie. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, it's the person who literally made this and like is the the mute like, you know, the the muse of this thing that we're going to see yeah the the creator of this con like of this image this iconography and it's like well who the fuck is that yeah is that i don't know who that is we're seeing brian slade (laughs) yeah who the fuck is that i don't know who jack ferry who does he interview first the the he interviews the first manager yeah brian slade's first manager um and i do just like want to make a note that it's like so present day christian bale or you know quote unquote present day um, 1984 present day yeah yeah. and it's like okay this movie like we're gonna talk a lot about fascism um (laughs) fascism (laughs) is so like directly tied into glam rock it's like not even funny it's not even funny even fascists have documentaries on youtube about Mm -hmm. it yeah (laughs) but yeah so like 1984 is like literally the um like pinnacle the georgia orwell novel 1984 is like the pinnacle of like authoritarian fascism and we have uh yeah we have uh reagan and thatcher in office Mm -hmm. and there's like a president i think do they mention yeah so like it's like a reagan thatcher reynolds President Reynolds. President Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah, and they have, like, throughout the movie, they have, like, people in these... Well, it's... it's, I guess they're supposed to be the Tommy Stone Yeah, but you, like, think think about Reynolds. But they look like... Yeah, it's like they look like the Richard Nixon masks or JFK masks or Ronald Reagan masks, but it's, like, blonde. And but it's, it's like a pop literally... star, but you're, like, thinking that that's the president because you've only connected your head to, like, those kinds of symbols. It's very clever. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, the 1984 that Krishna Bale is in is not, like, actual real-life 1984. Um, th- this movie is, like, very surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 1984 is, like, really just used as, like, a contrast to the 70s. The 70s. And so it's like the 70s, it, it's like really kind of exaggerating this nostalgic view mm-hmm. of the 70s as like super free, very sexually liberated, very, um, you know, gender bending, yeah. like very free in general. Whereas like um, things that usually are nostalgic about the 80s now make the 80s look very wild and went to like yeah. We went to the mall, and, like, the 80s in this movie are, like, crusty and sad, and, like, there's yeah. no nostalgia for the Very 80s. industrial. Yeah. There's, but there's only... Very industrial. There's only 70s nostalgia in this movie, yeah. which is... 
interesting and refreshing because I always think of the 70s as this like crusty, smoky, dirty, mm-hmm. like fucked up New York, but it's like we're yeah. in England and, I, and it's fun. <laughs> right. What I got out of this movie was that it was like really kind of emphasizing that the 70s was all about facade. Oh yeah. I'm um, so is glam. Yeah. yeah, exactly, which is why fascists love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the first interview he sees is um he's in a hospital. Um and it's this old, very effeminate man in a wheelchair in a wing of a hospital. So like this movie was made in 1998, yeah. like very clearly they're signaling like this is he has aids he's in like an aids ward i always like get really frustrated with how people portray aids in movies and it's always Mm -hmm. like this like jerking you off for your tears kind of shit where this is Mm -hmm. just like here it is i don't have to explain it if you get it you get it it's also like very much steeped in um like cultural context Mm -hmm. And it's like very um, not subtle, but it doesn't. It's it's very much like show don't tell. Yeah. Well, and I also think that kind of like goes into the um, Todd Haynes's like interesting take on um, biopics, yeah. um, and and how he is like really kind of embracing that like no one person can really tell the story no way. of someone's life. Um, so taking it from these different um, angles of, like, the rise and fall of Brian Slade, um, blanking on the manager's na- the ca- manager character's name, but... Um, I don't remember. He, he, he talks about, like, young Brian Slade, whose real name is Thomas. I guess content warning, like, there are some, like, pretty direct... Like, they don't show it, but it's, like, pretty direct... Um, implications of like sex with a minor yeah like very predatory really fucked up like he's like waiting to like sleep he's like waiting to pick on a schoolboy so that he can well and it's funny too because it's like it's it's like a precursor to the it's like it's the idea of like the oscar wilde brooch but in a different in a different skin Mm -hmm. like because he's he's see he's like waiting um as this like young boys school is like walking by and there's this kid at the very end who's like lagging Mm -hmm. behind and he has this pocket watch and he's like kind of fiddling he's distracted yeah right and then the next shot is um it's brian slade with the pocket watch Mm -hmm. And he, it's, like, him, like, take, like, um, looking at the pocket watch and, like, taking it. And so it's, like, literally, like, oh, yeah, you're taking away this kid's, like, time. You're taking away his youth, his innocence. Like, it's another, um, I think, like, occurrence of this idea that, um, Brian Slade views, uh, homosexual encounters as, like, transactional to benefit himself. If that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Like, yeah, because he, like, takes the pocket yeah. watch and the kid's virginity, supposedly. 
as what we're yeah and it's like very unromantic it's like it's like not sexual at all it's like not sexy it's just like there's a kid on the bed and he's standing there and he's got the watch and you're like ew eh." like then basically he meets um he meets the manager guy meets brian slade at the sombrero club and it's like again another like this is appropriation Mm -hmm. like sombrero being a a mexican thing or um south american yeah it's like they're like in a Uh, latin club but it's like in england like but there's also yeah there's no hispanic people there there's no tony collette i love tony collette and she plays this so well she's really 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 good in this role like it's if you've ever seen an interview with angie bowie you're like whoa like she, she nails, nails it nails it she yeah i've only seen like a few clips and like yeah she really she really embodies that yeah. energy <laughs> i would like to point out that and you know this i think i wrote this mm-hmm. down um angie kind of makes this good like compliment almost to courtney love um and like mm. in mandy's character because it came out in the 90s you see like she's not just like angie bowie she's also like almost like a courtney love type the way that rock fans talk about courtney and angie they talk about them in the same way like oh they were nasty and they slept with the rock star and they just wanted fame and they were nasty and mm-hmm. it's like and behind the scenes, pulling the yeah, strings, they and like all this, all shit. that horrible shit. Like fans talk about them in the same yeah. way, and I think Tony Collette playing that character is just mm. chef's kiss, excellent. <laughs> yeah, and oh my gosh, like when all of the early Brian Slade stuff, he looks like such a fucking tryhard. Like it's so painfully labored his performance before uh, before not, the Maxwell um, Demon part. Yeah, yeah, that's it's like, like the- he's so like over enunciating, and um, especially when he's at like the music festival and he's um, singing uh, Sebastian, yeah. and it's like your, your lips and it's ruby like, blue, sp- your silver eyes sparkle, come red lips ruby blue. And the audience like, what? what the fuck is this? Yeah, the, all the hippies in the audience. And he's like wearing a dress and it's like this purple dress that really probably, like to me, it just, it screamed Prince. I was like, yeah, well, something Prince it wear. might be a Prince thing, it's purple. but it definitely is a reference to, it's a reference to the man who sold the world. Um, yeah, because at that time, Bowie was like, I have to wear a dress like, to be shot. Well, and he and was like, like, oh, it's, it's like a joke. It's like a joke. Who was who's the painter? Bowie would do this thing where he's like, "Oh well, like the women kind of look like men." He's like implying that the woman that he is getting inspiration from this painter is like, "Oh well, she actually looks like a man," and it's like a joke. It's like a it's like a what's the joke here, David? What's the joke here, David? The joke is, <laughs> yeah, it's like the joke is, oh ha ha ha, man in dress look how silly that is it's like (laughs) yeah it's dante gabriel rossetti and he paints these very like 
high cheekbones. He paints like one woman, um, and he's very famous for just like painting this one woman over and over again. And she has this red hair, and she has very big cheekbones. And uh, David Bowie's like, yeah, it's a joke. I look like a woman who looks like a man in a painting. And I'm like, fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> yeah, and during this time, he had, like, the very long, like, hippie yeah. hair. So it was funny. It was like, he's kind of trying to be a hippie, but kind of not. Like, when he's at this um, outdoor music whatever. Festival. Um, Memory for a free festival. Yeah. i know all the tea about that well i don't but it's like yeah um but yeah so brian is playing at this festival um and it's like so try hard and he's so annoying and the way that he sings sebastian um i wrote down just hetero nonsense I'm like, shut up. Oh, my God. Like, it's it's not even like, oh, you're doing something that's so different. It's like, no, you're just like, you look like an annoying try-hard theater kid. Yeah. It's so strange because um, Bowie at this time was, like, getting his early Ziggy band together. Um, and it has the guitar. That album, um, The Man Who Sold the World, has the guitarist, um, right. Mick Ronson, who also yes. Bowie just made him play for him and then ripped off completely. Mm-hmm. If you listen to any yep. McRonson song, you're like, wait, isn't this David? This is David is this David Bowie? And then yeah. you're like, wait, and it's like, oh, David is like singing like this man. He's literally copying the way Mick sings, and it's like the yeah, but wouldn't David do it? No, David stole it from him. <laughs> yeah, stole his whole career and then dumped him when he didn't need it. Honestly, yeah, I would be in the audience booing him too. It seems fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> and he like storms off stage. He's like, oh, I fucking suck. And then um, it's like, yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> and Kurt Wilde comes and, on. Yes. And so now we're going to talk about um, the best part of this movie. Um, the, gr- the ghost of Kurt Wilde. So Kurt Wilde is this like amalgamation of Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, and Kurt Cobain. Which nobody uh, wants to movie- say it's Kurt Cobain. It's clearly Kurt Cobain. His name is fucking Kurt. Seriously. Seriously. So it's so funny because in my notes, like, I talk about Kurt and Kurt. So like... Kurt Wilde, his name is Kurt with a C, and Kurt Cobain is Kurt with a K. 
Kurt Wilde is like the archetype of like the manic, hot mess, um, doomed to fail, grease doomed ball. to burn out. Yeah, greasy, grungy rock yeah. star guy. It's like he's like he's um, literally the guy that you found in the mud. Yeah, yeah he's he's the Oscar Wilde queer talisman. Um, yeah, so in the movie, Kurt Wilde is, um, he, <laughs> basically he went to conversion therapy, which included electroshock therapy, because his parents, his parents, uh, found him, um, giving his brother a blowjob, um, and so they put him in conversion therapy for 18 months to quote-unquote shock the what did they say like shock the queer out yeah. of him or something just like, like that like shock the queer right out of him but it just like made him yeah. addicted to rock music and rocking out yeah electric guitar yeah, just, it just made him more crazy and go crazy whenever he heard electric guitar and it's yeah. like ew like I hate the the like glamorization mythologizing of oh, conversion kind therapy. of how they talk about these people in rock documentaries too because this i think was definitely pulled from a um well there's like an amalgamation here i mean i'm sure like yeah this was definitely a story about lou reed who went to like shock conversion therapy i believe yeah um and then iggy pop has not had great times like he's definitely been in mental institutions yeah yeah and like iggy pop um so like his stage presence and like energy and like real it's like it it like transcends mania uh-huh. and it's just like full on unhinged like unbridled energy yeah. um, rabid. that's really from yeah rabid that's like a really full good word rabid, for it um, as the kids say these days yeah <laughs> um that's like really from Iggy Pop mm-hmm. And it's so funny because, like, David Bowie found Iggy Pop. Basically, he was wandering the streets of California. I mean, that's not how he found him, but he was wandering the streets of California, like, addicted to heroin, just being, like, a street person, uh-huh. like, homeless. And uh, then Bowie was like, hey, like, want to come to London and, like, make music? And he was like, oh, yeah, sure, I guess. Like, <laughs> it's kind of what they do in in this movie, too. In the movie, it's a lot different because um, David Bowie definitely met Iggy Pop. Like what you said, he found him on the street of California doing heroin. David Bowie found Iggy Pop when he was in his fascist phase living in Cal- in L.A. Like, he was like, hi, I'm a fascist. Would you like to go to Switzerland with me? <laughs> Would you like to sleep with some Nazis? I mean... Basically, um, Brian sees Kurt Wilde on stage, and Kurt Wilde is going ape shit. Um, and like warning for anyone who's sensitive to this, there's a full on dick moment. There's a dick moment, glitters and dicks. Which, which, like Iggy Pop, there, yeah, Yeah. he also got his dick out on, like, got fully naked on stage. Um, so I guess he's being true to form, (sighs) but it was like. When when we watched it, because the first time I watched it was with you. Mm-hmm. Um, when we watched it, I was like, there, "He's not gonna get his dick out. Oh, oh his, his dick's, dick's out. out. Okay. His dick now. His oh, dick is it, out. And there, there it is. Fully out, flopping. Yep. Cool. Uh, 
like he he's like so clear like he voices his jealousy yeah. that um over kurt wilde and he's like i wish i had thought of it mm-hmm. first and um, now i must Mandy's have like, him you will dear like you will right. and then it's uh the what is it the the ballad of maxwell demon mm-hmm. aka definitely uh space oddity uh ziggy stardust well well space oddity is about major tom so like what when you start with like a bowie thing it's like who who right they're all the same fucking guy <laughs> like, right. it's like no it's, um, it's major tom and ziggy and thin white duke it's the same guy they do the same yeah. thing they just look differently it's the same fucking story well, over and over <laughs> Yeah, the the Wikipedia says that it's like directly um it's based on David Bowie's All the Young Dudes. Okay. But like okay. The the imagery it like really seems like it's doing um a major Tom uh space oddity that thing. Makes sense. Um what? at least uh, like the white background. Oh, I know. I know which one you're talking about. Sorry. It's yeah, doing... the one where he's like it's doing the Jean one where Genie. Like, yes. Jean Genie. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's like, it's an amalgam. Yeah. It's a synthesis of all this glam stuff that Bowie did. But um, yeah, it, that's a, that's a, um, Jean Genie is an early Ziggy video. Um, and, uh, is this one? Personally, I think this one is about Iggy Pop. There's like a few songs that are like about Iggy. Um, and I think. I'm pretty sure this one is about Iggy. <laughs> what, Jean Genie or? Jean Genie. There's also Queen Bitch. Queen Bitch, I believe, yeah. is about Lou Reed. Mm. But this one is about Iggy Pop, if I'm not mistaken. No, but so that this music video, we talked about it when we saw it at the time, mm-hmm. but it's so annoying when in movies they'll have a music video, but it doesn't look like a music video. Whereas this one is like very much, it's like, oh, you just put a, music a literal video. music video in the middle yeah. of this movie. Yeah, I think this music video has like the best, like, iconic looks from uh the movie mm-hmm. because it's like brian slade as maxwell demon in this like short pink like kind of powdered wig moment it's like it's very like dandy mm-hmm. um like uh quasi baroque but also glam rock mm-hmm. um and i think it really kind of embodies that style it's like so the fashion. corny and i think I know, david bowie hated it. it and i'm like because it's corny and they don't you do it's... not like to be made fun of and like look corny because you don't want to look cheap yeah. but you're cheap honey and that's what you look like <laughs> yeah it's like you guys are all wearing like sequin dot fabric <laughs> like it's always gonna and like lame it's like you're gonna look cheap like cheap. that's the point guys like <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, during this music video, like, he's also in this, like, green glitter... I call it the green reptile The reptile man. Oh, yeah. So, the reptile... Yeah, where he's, like, running around... That was a Lindsay Kemp thing. Fucking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Lindsay... Lindsay Kemp was, like, in the background, again, of another video that... I don't remember. Is it the same video? See, I don't remember. But it's the one where David has, like, his stupid sailor anchor drawn on his face. And there's, like, some fucking lizard man dancing around in the background. Um, 
Yeah, and it's one of them is Lindsay Kemp. Um, yeah, and so then we get the introduction of Jerry Devine, played by Eddie Izzard, the what? incomparable. <laughs> I um, love him. <laughs> yeah, and so I forget what's the name of Bowie's manager that um, Tony DeFries. Is it Tony DeFries? Yes. yes, I got it right. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. he was the manager of this company called. Main Man Records. And like, even if you yep. look at the logo, you're like, ew, gag me with a spoon. And he's like, I'm Tony DeVries <laughs> and I'm going to make you a star. And we're just going to dress you yeah. up and we're going to give you shit and people are going to think you're a star. Similar to how Lady Gaga did it, but Gaga did it a lot differently and with $2 and not some guy scamming her. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Izzard's character, Jerry Devine, um, he, he also literally says, like, I. I'm, I can make you a star. You're going to be hotter um, than sliced beetles. <laughs> yes. Oh, That's my seriously. favorite line. We're going to make you hotter than sliced beetles. Um, so then he he drops his old manager like a rock. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and of I course he gets like the short end of the stick and it's like people that actually work with Bowie, like sometimes it's like, oh, what happened to them? Sometimes they're still alive, but sometimes it's like, oh, they had AIDS and they died. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Or it's like he found he found like a scummy capitalist that can do it better, yeah. so he went with them instead yeah. and just dropped dropped the person they've been working with for years mm-hmm. because they found someone who's can make him more commercially successful. Yeah. It's really interesting because like uh this whole thing about like his management and how he like hires people to be both like actors and also like his posse Mm -hmm. and also publicists and also costume Um, designers and yeah like yeah makeup artists and like all and they all sleep together (laughs) yep (laughs) um and so we're like going through this sequence of like them on the phone talking him up and um you see this giant poster of a blonde Hollywood starlet. Oh, right in the back um, of Tony. Tony DeFries of right. Eddie Izzard. Uh, Jerry Devine. Jerry Devine. <laughs> At first, we thought it was Jane Mansfield. Then I was like, maybe it's Natalie Wood, but I'm pretty sure Natalie Wood was not blonde. We instantly knew, like, who is that? How did they die? Like, we were both like, who the fuck is that? And how did they tragically die? Like, that's why they put... Seriously. And we were like, I don't, rem- I don't know who that is. But I know that she tragically died. <laughs> we figured out it's Jean Harlow. Um, and I'm pretty sure, again, yeah, she was a blonde actress in the golden age of Hollywood who died tragically. Yeah. Um, so fun. <laughs> Classic, but <laughs> Hollywood. Media criticism doesn't always pay the bills, but with your support, you can help us fund our project. Please support us by going to camaraderie.co slash bitingthehand. You can donate as little as $1 a month, and you can donate $5 to be on our special Heart Eyes tier where you can view our bloopers and bonus content. That website again is camaraderie.co slash bitingthehand. Camaraderie functions like 
Patreon, but is run like a cooperative. More of your dollar will go directly to creators instead of some kind of CEO. That website again is camaraderie.co slash fighting the hand. I would also encourage you to donate to a local Seattle organization called Lambert House. You can visit them online at lamberthouse.org slash giving. We invite you to become a Lambert House supporter or to continue your support as one of a very special group of people who are uniquely dedicated to helping at-risk, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth. Again, you can visit them online at lamberthouse.org slash giving. Yeah, so Jerry Devine is like, he's like so fascist. <laughs> like, um, there's this like little like golden white photo shoot thing that um, I'm pretty sure like the band that's playing is Brian Eno. Am I wrong? Or is it uh, the guy from T-Rex? Uh, when they're in like the gold and white and yes. they're, it's just like little vignettes of them all saying just queer this nonsense. Queer nonsense. Like, homosexual nonsense but it's like well they say like a bunch of oscar wilde quotes like there's two things that we do in life first is to strike a pose and the second is to figure or like you know what i mean it's just like nonsense gay nonsense um and the woman is like i'm most myself when i am in a luxurious room with Lots of decadent food right, and like whatever. And, yeah, and yeah. there's just like 70s decadence of like there's glamour yeah. but there's like decay underneath it and somebody's mm-hmm. gonna get fucked over. And, like, yeah, and um, Jerry Devine, Eddie Izzard, is dressed in this gold and white military outfit that's fascist as fuck. <laughs> Um, it's and a he white says, guard like, the most, outfit. <laughs> he, he says the most fascist thing ever. Every century that produces great art is an artificial one. Like, oh my god, like, that's literally fa- the definition of like fascism. Of, like, okay. everything is artifice. Fascism is is hard to exactly define because it's like very broad. But fascism is art. It's an art mm-hmm. form, and I think that people don't remember that. <laughs> I think I think the best definition of fascism is basically all of its politics is aesthetics. Yeah, all aesthetics. It's a delusion. It's um, literally glamour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like fascism isn't really like a concrete ideology. It's kind of whatever they slap with it but basically it's the reduction of all politics into aesthetics so like military posturing fascists love like classical art and they love super imposing aesthetics because that is the politics the politics is the aesthetic of feeling imposed upon i mean think of how like fascists act on the internet it's like the i'm joking but just to be mean about it making somebody pissed off just because you can they really like mm-hmm. violence for violence sake yeah the aesthetics of violence and they like technology i think this is where a lot of people get confused because like, technology is not mm. bad um but fascism and white supremacy use technology in a way that makes people feel uncomfortable and i think that's fair because mm-hmm. 
we don't really engage a lot with technology in a good way. And mm-hmm. fascists like want you to be uncomfortable with technology because they want to use mm-hmm. it to isolate you and alienate you from mm-hmm. any community and labor. <laughs> One of the biggest um, art movements that fascists love is futurism. Yeah. Well, the the futurists, after they were futurists, became the fascists. Right, guys. right, right, right. Futurists, like, really, their, their ethos was really about how, like, technology and innovation is fueled by war, and war is the, the brush fire that clears away all archaic old things and that it must be cleansed. Yeah. Like, that, that, that's literally fascism. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Izzard in a white suit. Military suit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, the only way that we progress is through getting rid of old things. Just purging things. Um, Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascism. (laughs) Yeah, so then we go into Mandy Slade. Mandy Slade describes how she met Brian... Um, at a New Year's Eve or New Year's party in 1969. Um, and basically, yeah, she kind of introduces him to Jack Ferry. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, it's funny because he almost synthesizes them. Mm-hmm. He does. It's like he's like struck by this like romantic connection with Mandy but also is struck with this glamour and uh camp that Jack Ferry has Todd Haynes says that Jack Ferry is Little Richard oh yeah and I'm like yes probably but also like probably the uh trans woman Mm -hmm. from Berlin And I think that's kind of why Jack Ferry is like resembles the MC from Cabaret because Cabaret is like a queer nightclub in Berlin. There's also two other people I should mention. There are two queer folks that he has as backup singers during a performance that he has on Saturday Night Live in the in I think 1980. I want to say it's Mm -hmm. for Scary Monsters after glam he's wearing this like woman's suit and Mm -hmm. he has uh oh my goodness i'm going to forget the one person's name because again they're like i've never heard them speak but the one Mm -hmm. person is klaus nomi oh yes oh love klaus nomi yeah oh my god yeah such a fucking icon and the other person is joey arias Everything's gone. Go up. Oh, yeah. See, you know. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the that's thing. New it's like, York. I've heard these people's. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. who they are. Who's Jack Ferry? Who's Joey Ares? Who's Jack Ferry? Who's... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Klaus Nomi is a drag, gender bending performance artist. Just so iconic. Opera singer. Um, multimedia artist yeah you know what now thinking about it probably jack ferry was also modeled after klaus yeah definitely i mean it's like (laughs) all of these queer people that you look at that bowie ripped off and you're like jack Mm -hmm. ferry jack ferry jack ferry jack ferry jack ferry jack ferry jack ferry there's a lot of jack ferries that you're ripping off of 
yeah and again it's like it's really it speaks volumes that jack ferry does not have a single line yeah. in this movie but keeps showing up yeah, he's just there because the that's that's kind of like bowie's career it's like these people have no voice he does not give them a voice but yet their iconography it's it's fingerprints are all They're over all his over. career from from the early days all the way up probably until his death yeah. so it's just like yeah. you, you see all these people and you just like see how he would just like use other musicians or artists as props and then just kind of like move on to the next person besides a few like guys who had always stuck with him who were just like ready mm -hmm. to like serve him which is like they have this like groveling tendency to them like Tony um there's also a scene where um brian comes up to jack ferry in like the bathroom i guess yeah and just like fucking grabs him and kisses him it's so um and so jack ferry is wearing the, the um yeah the brooch is like a little earring and it's so great i'm like oh style icon the single dangling earring <laughs> i'm like oh god what an icon and so brian kisses jack and then as he kisses him after after brian leaves jack notices oh my earring is gone oh, and so it's like that that reoccurring like transactional nature of homosexuality for him yeah. and after that happens they go into this press conference where brian slade is like i'm gay yeah the infamous um, i am bisexual interview but i'm married but we're bi but we're both right bi. everybody's doing it. yeah and he says like rock and roll is a prostitute it should be tarted up and i'm like ew ew when christian bale is like recalling i'm sorry what's his name arthur 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 stewart I'm sorry. It's Christian yeah. Bale, and when he's a teenager, yeah. he sees Bowie in this interview. I mean, I mean Brian Slade. I mean uh, Maxwell Demon. <laughs> um, he sees him in this interview, and he's like with his parents, and he starts like pointing to the television. That's yeah, me. And he's like That's jumping me. up That's and down. That's me in there. That's me. And then That's me. And I'm like, same, buddy. Same. Hello. I love you. I'm Lucy. I'm Monty. I know. The rodeo star. Oh, no, excuse me, the, the test pilot. Oh, no, sorry, the uh, coma victim. No, no, no. Vacuum cleaner salesman. I'm a vacuum cleaner salesman, see? Brian clearly gets more press the more that he leans into being you know alluding to him being gay him saying that he's bisexual like he obviously gets more press from that. Right. Um, again, the transactional I feel like I'm not saying that word transactional transactional the nature of homosexuality in this movie with brian slade is purely for his benefit and it's just something that he says to benefit or does to benefit himself yeah. there's a lot of photos of david bowie where he's like leaning in to like lou reed and like i think there's one mm -hmm. with mick jagger but there's definitely one with lou and he, they're just kind of both mm -hmm. like oh i would never i would never i would it's all these like they literally have the photo photographic proof that they've kissed and they're like mm -hmm. nothing happened that's not what's happening in the photo they're just like gaslight gaslight gatekeep <laughs> Um, yeah, it's like, oh, they were leaning in to, to talk to each other, but, 
But then they just they just snapped a photo. Which it's is like, like in a way, um, it sucks because like queer people will like sometimes lie to like cover up them being out. Mm. And like with David Bowie, it's like, but why are you lying? You are like the biggest pop star. Like what what why would you have to lie and cover up that you're gay when you've already told everybody you're gay? And then in, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, t- I've showed you this magazine cover, but there's like when Bowie is like trying to recreate his image again, it's just like, oh yeah. And it's like a cover. Yeah. It's a cover that literally just says David Bowie is straight. straight. It's just like, yeah. I'm straight now. Was that? He's not straight though. Was that Thin White Duke era? No, that was after Thin White It was Duke. after? That was in the 80s. So that would be they're the- all the same. all the same. <laughs> it's, so that's the time where he's dressing up like Fitzcarraldo from Fitzcarraldo and he's just like traveling around Asia and Mm, being like I'm gonna be in this movie about fascism while also like in real life looking like the guy looking like Fitzcarraldo I'm not a fascist but I'm dressed like Fitzcarraldo I want the opera house this church remains closed till this town has its opera yeah, so then Brian goes to America. He's in this, like, rock club, and he sees Warhol and Marilyn. And so it's, like, kind of that surrealist, like, Marilyn Monroe died in the 60s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she's not there in a life. Now, maybe, maybe Warhol, like, hung around people and, like, had someone who would dress oh, up yeah. as Marilyn Monroe. Like, I definitely believe that. Yeah basically brian is like oh i want to meet kurt wilde and he sees him like basically in an alley and he's like like stoned out of he's, his mind he's blessed and he's like i'm i'm a i'm a big fan of your music blah 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 and then he's like he's literally like whoa whoa top jolly out. good top fucking yeah titty. and then he like he, he basically like his eyes drift off and he just has like this cigarette. unlit cigarette like hanging on his lip <laughs> and then everyone around him is like laughing and like brian like oh no brian's such a fanboy for this so loser silly. Yeah. yeah it's like oh yeah and so then um basically brian is like we want to have you on our record and eddie izzard's character is like like dancing around it and saying all this flowery language and then he's like what (laughs) then he's he's like you know heroin was my main man and then uh, i got on methadone and now you come to me and you say you want to give me everything and i'm like yeah dude you could be i'm thinking you could be my main Main man man. it's like my main and then we get um, like kind of this montage of all of this press article covers that talk about like them being gay. Mm-hmm. Like meanwhile, there's like guys shaking hands and it's so it's like clearly again reinforcing this transaction. It's like by parading them around as like an it couple mm-hmm. that's gay and like maybe they are, maybe they yeah. aren't like it's making them money. It's all for publicity to make them they money. They literally put them, like, in a circus ring where, like, the press conferences yeah. are, like, literally a circus ring when they're, like, in the middle, like, drinking champagne and toasting to each other. And they're, like... Yeah. And he has, like, cue cards. Yeah. It's, like, they're asking him questions and then they have cue cards. And one of the... On one of the cue cards is a, um Oscar Wilde quote. Um, 
uh, a man is not truly himself give him a mask and he will tell you the truth or something like that uh, another oscar wilde quote Ugh. Um, okay, I don't, I don't have anything against Oscar Wilde, but I'm just like, oh my gosh, we get it. After all that press, there's like, that's when we get the little interlude, um, of Kurt and Brian as Barbies, and it's like a little girl, like, with the Barbies, yeah, like, thanks, man, you really got me off the ropes, or something, like, I love the fangirl thing. Yeah, and he's like, they have, like, Brian as, like, a... Thanks, man. I love the. I just wanna. I, I just love you making that awesome music, and I love. And he's like, you don't have to I, say know, it, dude. And, love, and it's like, I love, and I love. Don't speak. It's so funny. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. There's a quote from this book, "Girls and Subcultures." As any mm. study of the iconography of Mick Jagger, Gary Glitter, or Dave Bowie, they don't say David, they say Dave love- Bowie, would soon reveal, it is possible for male pop stars to be both more feminine and aggressively male chauvinist at one and the same time, within the same image. The feminizing mm. of the male image may in no way signal the complementary liberation of the female from the constraints of the feminine image. Yeah, so like in in my little, my alternate titles that I made for this <laughs> movie, like, yeah, it's, it's true. It's like, I think that glam rock was really kind of like selling this gender and sexuality bending of men for men it's, like, it's liberating and women loved it yeah it, it, it's very much like packaging this very specific variance while not offering that same freedom for women yeah it's like it's, it's a facade and, and like and I think about this a lot too, like when when I was a kid, I knew that men could be gay, yeah. but I didn't know that women could be gay. Yeah. Because I never saw any media depictions of gay women. Yeah, just gay men. Like in pop culture, mm-hmm. like they just didn't. And even now, I mean, obviously, I think I joked I was like 2021, the year of the lesbian or something. Because <laughs> like there were in like in movies and TV shows, there were all these like lesbian or at least sapphic um love stories but it's still like i i don't think that it's achieved the same level of like mass market commercialization no, like that game it doesn't has. sell as well um and so people mm-hmm. like think they're being liberated in some other way and it's like i'm being liberated it's like no this is just packaged and sold to you and distracting yeah, because... you from like actually being liberated and you have no representation this is fake yeah, it's it's just because at the end of the day, it's still kind of reinforcing this patriarchal uh, structure. Look at all these guys and we're focusing on these men and, and how they express themselves and like, why don't we focus on this and girls love this and, you know, that Girl, kind of it's stuff. It's like, yeah, because rock music is marketed towards teenage girls. It's only mm. sold to teenage girls. Sorry, fanboys. Yeah, Brian leaves Mandy for Kurt, but not really Kurt. This idea of him, an image of him that no one could live up to, almost like the um, idea or image of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Because uh, he's not alive to say what he is and isn't and what he does and doesn't think. Yeah. He's like literally just a 
mirage that people project everything yeah yeah and like the the rock documentaries talk about how rock and roll suicide is about like being consumed by the energy of the audience that you instilled in them i'm like it's not that deep guys like it's literally about glorifying like it's glorifying glorifying but it makes you it's like changing it to where it makes you think it makes the audience think that it's about them and that he doesn't want you Mm -hmm. to die but what he's actually saying is like look at all of these dead rock stars another one's gonna happen and another one idea of Kurt more than anything, this, uh, this <clears throat> image, which, of course, nobody could ever possibly live up to. I mean, Maxwell Lehman, Kurt Wilde, they were fictions. Won't you come with me? Somewhere along the way, Brian seemed to get lost in the line. Come and take my hand, and we'll find a he's singing my unclean and he sounds really good and he like sounds like kurt cobain Mm -hmm. and then it's like brian is like if you're gonna make a change you should tell like his manager is like we're just wasting tape oh because iggy pop like like, literally would do that where he would just like say whatever yeah yeah he would just make up the lyrics in the booth yeah like a beatnik and basically they're like yeah um this isn't gonna work and so then kurt fucking goes apeshit in the studio and starts destroying stuff Mm -hmm. and as he leaves like there's a shot of him like getting into a car and he looks up and he sees brian and he's at the window (laughs) and then like pulls the curtain and it's like so dramatic he is in like he's in like this leather like overcoat thing and he really looks like kurt cobain i'm like what it's spooky dude it's spooky. yeah but it's fine because then kurt finds jack fairy yeah and they get to be little queerdos together and, and you love their it. berlin record so the end gets like really jumbled because then it's like we finally snap back to christian bale and then it's like they don't want him his... to do the the story anymore and they're like Oh, whatever. Maxwell yeah. Demon, we don't care about him dying on stage. Yeah, do do the Tommy Stone show yeah, or whatever. Do the and Tommy then it's Stone like, show. So you're like, okay. Yeah, then he's like doing this research about Brian. He tries to call Kurt. Kurt's like, yeah, I don't know how you got this number. And then it's like, he hangs up the phone. Well, and it's funny too because like, Kurt doesn't age. Yeah, he looks exactly he looks the same. same. It's also um, fantastic it, because fantastical because it's like things are like wait how would Christian Bale know what somebody looked like just from a, somebody's retelling of the story like he, yeah he like can recognize like the wardrobe girl uh, uh no her name is Shannon, Shannon. basically she, in, in real life she was like David Bowie's assistant like I, I forget what her name is in real life um, I I know who you're talking about but I don't remember her name yeah but she's like in the background and she gets like really upset and tells um Brian Slade's wife that she found him and Kurt in bed naked and you get the infamous line like just because they're in bed together naked doesn't mean they had sex (laughs) and it's like (laughs) maybe they were composing all I found were two people sleeping in my bed 
and they happen to be naked, and they happen to be Mick Jagger and David Bowie. And it's not a big deal. It doesn't mean necessarily that that is, you know, some sort of affair going on. But on the other hand, when pressed to talk about some of the things that could be considered aggravating about my marriage and final breakup and, and disenfranchisement of property. I, I said it. I told the story. But everyone immediately assumed that I was alleging that they were involved in sexual acts, and that's not true. You know, I just found them asleep. They probably came Brian on so drunk is like and all moody out. because <laughs> Kurt is gone, and he's like in a mountain of coke. I literally wrote a literal mountain of coke. Literal. And he watches the footage of like people being mad about him faking his own death and it's like so like masturbatory it's like it's oh my god it's gross it's um also the the like him killing ziggy it wasn't him like just mm -hmm. killing ziggy it was him like literally going on stage and being like this is the last show we'll ever do and all of his band members were like we're fired he's firing yeah. us this is, yeah. he literally, that's how he fired them. They had no jobs after that. Yeah, so, like, in in Velvet Goldmine, like, in the beginning, like, you see him get shot while he's, like, literally, like, he literally carved out time in his show to just, like, get on stage and, like, peacock around. I mean, that's when he gets shot. So, like, in, in the movie, um, and I'm like, yes, good. Die. <laughs> Die. <laughs> Die forever. Um, that's like uh, yeah, me so... and me and a former fan. We like would tell each other these like non-sexual fantasies about David Bowie, and one of them was like passing him on a street corner, just looking him in the eye, and then he's gone forever. And the other one was, <laughs> I just wish he would die. I just wish he would die, and I just can't wait until he dies. <laughs> and then he did. And then he did. <laughs> After making an album about fascism and nihilism. Yep. Many of them. Love many, nihilism. many albums about fascism well, yeah, and nihilism. Yeah. But I, I, I'm talking about Black Star, so. And the one before it, the next day. <laughs> what if we could be heroes just for one day? Well, what about the next day? And then he made a whole album about the next day, and oh boy. Yeah, it kind of goes into Bowie's nihilism and... Um, his wife finds him and she's like, do you ever want to be anything more? And he's like, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, when Bowie was like, I was just like super into coke. and Like, I loved it. Like, it was awesome. Whoa, and it's man. like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Shannon is there and she looks like Jack Ferry. Mm -hmm. Funny. Mm -hmm. Then there's like, the death of glitter. Ball, oh yeah and uh, christian bale like lives with the band placebo and they're like their own band and it's the band um i really liked placebo and my bowie phase probably because they definitely did work with bowie in real life they have like this nihilist gay boy energy so this is where we kind of get into the synthesizing of brian slade's life like, what is reality? What is not? Yeah. Like, what is real? What is not? Because that's when we kind of start seeing Christian Bale's character, like, in spaces as if he's really there. Right. He's, like, coming back um, to reality, like, slowly. And you're like, what is happening? Yeah, and it's, like, interesting because it's like, okay, so his, the band that he lives with plays this show and then kurt wilde does as well uh -huh. he's at the show and um 
Tony Collette, or sorry, Mandy. Mandy Tony Collette's character. Yeah, she's there and she's watching. Um, and then she does see Brian, but then she tells Kurt that she doesn't. Yeah. And he says that he saw him. And they see Brian like lurking in the background. And I said he's like literally wearing a pimp costume, <laughs> like <laughs> super huge, like hat. Yeah. Um, in this like crazy overcoat. Like we just see the silhouette, but I was like, this is like a literal, like costume like halloween party city pimp costume yeah like oh what is the song because i remember it like set it sound like the chord progression is like a nirvana song uh, gimme danger yeah and so gimme danger has like a like it, it has the same chord progression that's in like all the nirvana songs there's like some joke about how all Nirvana songs are the same chords, <laughs> uh, which is true. I mean, it's literally true because Kurt Cobain was like, I'm, I'm shit at playing guitar. <laughs> Love that for him. He's like, I don't give um, a shit. Whatever. But here's the thing. Kurt Cobain loved Iggy Pop. Yeah. He loved the Stooges because, oh, yeah. like, it's grunge. Yeah, it's like it's the grunge. origins of punk. Um, And so it's funny because it's like um, – there is this like reciprocal kind of like chicken or the egg. <laughs> Obviously, we know the egg, but Christian Bale fall is like backstage and he sees yeah. Mandy and Kurt like Talking. hug each other. Yeah. And then he makes eyes at Kurt. Mm-hmm. But it's like, he- would he be backstage? Right. How did he get because- there? Because of the band he knows, he's living with them. Right. And then, and then it's like, did it happen? Is it happening? Basically, they're in like this after party for the show and him and Kurt have like this. They make eyes uh-huh. at each other and then they're like talking telepathically. Yeah, like like literally and... telepathically. And you're like, is this real? It's just so fantastical that you're like, it doesn't matter if it's real. Maybe this really happened, but it wasn't Kurt. Right. Like maybe it was like. Because in one of the scenes um, where he first sees the band that he ends up living with, mm-hmm. the, like, the bass guitarist or the guitarist, like, gives him, like, a wink or yeah. something. So yeah. it's, like, maybe he's inflating that person with Kurt Wilde. Oh, you know what I mean? It's, right, like, right. but then also, like, did any of this happen? And maybe it's just a metaphor yeah. for, like, his sexual awakening. Yeah, I mean, they have, like, sex on the balcony and there's a fucking glittery UFO just like yeah. yeah like is the uh, it's a gay awakening yeah, I, it's yeah it's like they meet on the roof to Kurt fuck Cobain or whatever <laughs> right um yeah and apparently there's like a little factoid about that scene where they're on the roof and they're fucking and it's like a wide shot that just keeps pulling out apparently like todd haynes just like like they got the shot and they, he just like didn't tell them to stop and so they just like kept going for another like like five minutes or something no. yeah and it's like excuse todd, me todd haynes I'm like, what the fuck are you doing that's gross yeah it's like todd i don't know if that's gross or hilarious it's like uh, i i i should have told you five minutes ago like ugh. but then yeah we're back in 1984 um christian bale like has this epiphany that brian slade's real name is thomas yeah. And he's covering Tommy Stone. Thomas, Tommy. Oh. He sees a press conference with Tommy Stone and he sees Shannon. It's like, how does he know Shannon? 
How does exactly. he know what she it's like, like? Oh, he recognizes yeah. her. And like, I think like they literally yeah. have like a flashback to a sequence that Tony Collette like it's Tony Collette's memory, mm-hmm. but he's seeing He's seeing Tony Collette's memory that she told to him and now he knows Tony Collette's memory and now he knows As what if he Shannon, was there. Yeah. As if it was his memory. Uh-huh. Ah, Dorian yeah. Gray. Yeah. Stone. Like what does he It's like a backstage it? press conference yeah. thing. Uh-huh. Um, and they're like, oh, what do you think about President Reynolds? And he's like, oh, he's doing great things. Like, what a great guy. And, like, earlier, um, <laughs> there's, like, a concert of him. And he's like, thank you, President Reynolds. You made this happen. Thank you, the Department of Communications. A bar. Like, <laughs> thank you, Ronald yeah. Reagan. Thank you, Margaret Thatcher. Thank you, Donald Trump. Thank you, Joe Biden. <laughs> The performance look that he's embodying is, like, when he was the Thin White Duke and, like, did a performance at the Berlin Wall for, like, Live Aid. And it's, like, yeah. Why? Why do they have Western-ass people doing a concert literally on the Berlin Wall next yeah, to That was in the 80s. The that Berlin was his, Wall. uh, that was what they would call the serious moonlight. <laughs> That's the one where he looks like Fitzcarraldo. Oh, Serious yeah, yeah, Moonlight yeah. is the... But it's like, it's the Thin yeah, White Duke, whatever. Him, yeah. Whatever. It's, yeah. it's just the It's all the same Duke. guy. It's just, it's just David Bowie as fascist white boy. Yeah. Also, like, Bowie like, was, like, a huge, like, I love it in Berlin. I'm just going to make a bunch of, like... I'm going to make a bunch of um, propaganda for uh, West Germany. It's like, why... I'm sorry. If you stop being a fascist, why did you move to West Germany? Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, the older Tommy, mm-hmm. uh, or, like, the older Brian, you know, whatever, um, he really looks like Bowie. Yeah, he does. Like, really. Does. Like, But uh, his hair Jonathan is, Reese, like... Oh, outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... Spicy. Like, what? <gasps> What queer made this hair? Because uh-huh. I want to know. <laughs> Jonathan Reese Myers, who plays Brian Slade, like kind of looks like Bowie, yeah. but the the guy who plays like older Brian Slade, like really looks like Bowie. I feel like whenever people are casting Bowie, they always get like a guy with big cheekbones, but like it's always like some hunky looking guy. I'm like David Bowie is not hunky. Well, I thought. I'm not saying, like, I thought that the casting of Jonathan Reese Myers was good. good. Um, I think he, he captured, like, this kind of, uh, it was, it was good good. casting. No, it's really good. I was really struck by how much older Bowie, or the older, Older. (laughs) see, I'm doing it. So what do you think of the new Czechoslovakian bartender? Oh, he's not Czechoslovakian. He's an English rodeo star. Told me he was in a coma for eight years. Oh, yeah, well, he told me he was a human cannonball. Tommy's got a face on his dick. What? what? Older Brian looked like yeah. Bowie. I yeah. was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, really like the moments where like I got... His, um, his facial... It's just like his... That actor is like barely mm. in the movie, but like his, his facial yeah. expressions, just like the way that he moves his face is like... Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ooh, that's David Bowie. Um, yeah, and so then Christian Bale is like... <sighs> Literally, he's like, what do you think about the rumors connecting you to bisexual rock star Brian Slade? And it's like, uh. Yeah, so then after the show, he's at a bar surrounded by kids, and they're all, like, staring at him. Yeah. 
And it's like such a stark contrast between um, the 70s where like all the kids were like together and they're like had this energy and now it's like we're all just like sitting separated staring um yeah so then a young a young black girl who's obviously a fangirl um asks if he's part of the tour and then he offers her his press badge Mm -hmm. and she accepts it and then she goes back to her friends and they're like oh my gosh that's so cute um i love that moment yeah I love Yeah, we see the um the poster for Tommy Stone and it has that like quasi lightning bolt uh-huh. thing. Yeah. Um fascism. SS. <laughs> fascist Yeah, fascist love. Lightning bolts. Um Yeah, then he um sees Kurt, but it's this this Kurt has not aged. No. Brian Slade has aged, but this Kurt has not aged. And, like, even um, even Christian Bale has aged a little, even though, mm-hmm. like, when he's a teenager, he's, like... Yeah, and, like, Tony Collette has aged. Yeah. Yeah. But Kurt is the only one who hasn't aged. Almost like he is just a specter. Or he died a long time ago. I thought you died alone a long, long time ago. Oh no. Um, not me. <laughs> not me. <laughs> yeah, and so then he sees Kerr and he's like trying to act all coy, like, eh, you know, I tried to interview you. Like, has this like, <laughs> like dweeby, like, like putting on a swagger, but he's like such a door. Well, I'm a journalist um, from the Herald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Kurt says, real artists, um, make beautiful things and put nothing of their life into them. And, uh, Christian Bale is like, is that what you did? And he's like, no. (laughs) He said, uh, we, we set out to change the world, but we just ended up changing ourselves. And Christian Bale says, uh, what's wrong with that? And he says, nothing. But when you look at the like, look yeah, at the world, the world, and it it's like just the people at the bar, like alone, like staring at them. Yeah. Like they're all yeah, alone. Look at the world, and they're like yeah. suddenly it's like they're on the stage. They're the audience staring at you, mm-hmm. and it's super mm-hmm. spooky. Kurt try like uh, Christian Bale notices the pin that Kurt has. <laughs> it's the the, the queer talisman. Of you know queer imagination, um, and Christian Bale recognizes the pin again. He recognizes something that he has no memory of. Right. That he's um, never seen. <laughs> yeah, but he's seen it through their memories. Um, I've seen that thing before. Kurt tries to give it to him, and he's like, oh, "A friend of mine gave it to me," and he said, "Kurt." A man's life is his image. And it's like, fascism. Barfo, barfo, architecture, <laughs> architecture of doom. <laughs> a man's um, life is his image. So it's not his life, again. That's why, like, Seriously. Bowie fans, you're like, so what do you like about his life? They're like, I don't 
want to talk about his life because his life is horrible. I don't know anything. I don't, about his or life. I don't want to know anything about his life. And when you like look yeah. at his life, you're like. <laughs> Kurt tries to give it to Christian Bale, and he's like, "No, I don't want it." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then basically Kurt slips it in his beer, mm-hmm. and so he gets it involuntarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is he said like for your image or something? <laughs> <laughs> The Death of Glitter concert with a picture montage of Brian, Kurt, and others we don't recognize. Which is like a reference to uh, to rock and roll suicide. suicide yeah. <laughs> um, and Jack wears a similar costume as Brian's first outfit that he gets shot in. Mm-hmm, but it's in black. It's, it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of like a commentary about queer people kind of reappropriating their own image mm-hmm. i think i think that's like a really interesting um like bookend yeah. that it's like you know this whole movement was appropriating um culture and images and um queer imagination but then queer people just took it back yeah you know you died sorry it's mine now like all all I think about like all the queer people, like artists and um like drag performers who do David Bowie. <laughs> and so it's like funny. I love it when drag performers do David Bowie because it's hilarious. Right. You make him look like a fucking idiot. Even like mm. Lady Gaga, like in the Alejandro music video, she's doing like a, a thin white duke, but she's so mm. funny. Like her gun boobies, like that's a fascist would never do right. the gun boobies. It's like you make thin white duke look like a goofy ass. Whenever people do David Bowie as drag, I used to, when I was a fan, I was like, I hate it because it's like tacky and gross and that's not how he is. And now I'm like, that's how it should be. Fucking make fun yeah. of that bitch. Make him look like a fucking idiot. It's hilarious. Yes. And like, <laughs> oh, David Bowie takes himself so seriously. And queer, like queer performers, like drag queens, take themselves so unseriously that it really is like, a, oh, you think this is like a high art thing? No, it's schlock. It's camp. It's theater. Like, and so like Bowie is much more like, I'm gonna take this and bye bye go away like it's mine now i invented it there's a really famous david bowie line and do you know that book that's like in every urban outfitters or like wherever barnes and noble it's called like steal Mm. like an artist it's one of those stupid yeah it's one of those stupid coffee table books i when i was a fan i was like i know that david's in there and i would go to the book every time and i would flip it open to the um david bowie quote that says something like the best art is the art that I can steal. And I would like, I would like, that's funny. (laughs) And like, now I'm like, that's from the interview where he's telling everybody that Hitler is the greatest (laughs) rock star and the first rock star. (laughs) That's the quote that you chose to put in the book. The one where he's talking about how he loves Hitler. (laughs) The Hitler one. Okay. Which is funny because, um, yeah, I mean, Hitler literally did steal the, like, white supremacist, like, crackpot shit. Um, well, he was a performance artist, so, like, you're, I mean, yeah, David, he was a yeah. performance artist. 
He is a clown yeah. and a performance artist. Congratulations, Which is David. funny because it's like, like, there is a difference between David Bowie's take on it and the Charlie Chaplin take of, like, um, <laughs> like, yeah, he's, like, literally a clown. And, like, yeah. he's, he's yeah. literally just anybody but, like, a fucking clown. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. So... I wanted to end by kind of talking about how a lot of people who watch this movie um, finish the movie and they like Brian Slade. <laughs> and I just don't get it. I because don't this movie is like clearly, I mean, I guess because honestly, usually the people who um, watch this movie go into it as fans of David Bowie and so they see the David Bowie character and they're like oh I like him he's the good one. okay yeah oh he does bad things but we still love him and it's like no dude I've heard other people talk about this movie um, and when they talk about it they don't understand that Brian Slade is the bad guy yeah like he he uses homosexuality to steal he he only uses it when it is advantageous to himself he to to continue his career and to to bring him some sort of like commercial or personal gain yeah and he's insufferable he's he's smug he's Mm -hmm. pretentious Mm -hmm. he's annoying i love nihilism (laughs) yeah and he's a total asshole. Mm-hmm. And all of his art comes from, and, and all of his, like, innovation comes from observations of others. Yeah. Um, and, and observing how others have made art and then synthesizing it, but not in a way that honors the original source. Yeah. Also while, like, literally, like, poking fun at his audience. That too, yeah. I guess I don't really know how to feel about that. About Mm -hmm. people who leave the movie and think that we're supposed to be rooting for him. Like, no, he sucks. He became like a Thatcherite, Reaganite motherfucker. Like, he's a plastic, a plastic blonde man, like, with an SS thing. Tommy Stone. I think it's I think it's like you know just another symptom of people not understanding like media, like not understanding how to read media, like being mi- media illiterate and like not understanding like oh these are all telling me that this guy sucks. Yeah. It's like when people watch American Psycho and oh, another Christian Bale movie. Um, when people watch American Psycho and go, oh, yeah, I love him. And it's like, you're not supposed to. Yeah. So I I guess I just wanted to really kind of put a um, tie a ribbon on this and kind of ask you as someone who now, you know, <laughs> looks back and sees all of these negative points and um, is able to understand, you know, kind of the 
the appropriative and mm-hmm. sometimes actually fascist nature of Bowie. Yeah. Um, how how do you interact with his art now? Like, how, like listening to his music, like, do, obviously you still listen to some of his music because some of his music yeah. is on the glam play- playlist, but um, yeah. just kind of how, how you interact with his music now. Um, it's kind of a funny thing because I like for the past how many years maybe three years um he hasn't he's been like my top played like artist Mm. um and after he died I had no like it just took me a while like it took me a while to even be like this guy sucks I need to Mm. move on and it took a while so he's been on my like top played top five Mm. artists and he used to be like number one, right? Mm. But now it's just like you look at that, and then there's all of these Jewish guys. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I'll listen to a David Bowie song, I'll have a spiritual experience, mm. and I will have to drown it out with the most Jewish sounding shit that I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. I'll be like, this is a revolutionary song in Yiddish translated from like revolutionaries Mm. back in eastern europe yeah singing about killing nazis that's what i have to listen to (laughs) yeah and i think like this is kind of the the downfall of you know whether it's real or not cancel culture the idea that like oh someone did a problematic thing so therefore you can never listen to their music again you know you can't burn it burn it be a fascist and burn the book yeah it's like i i think that people like you still have to kind of come to the term come, come to terms with the fact that um you do have like you know some some aspect of like positive memory and positive mm-hmm. association with this art so mm-hmm. it's not just like a oh oops david bowie is a fascist and i got duped by the fascists so therefore burn all the albums i have it's like yeah it's like the the point of like banning banning art is i think people misunderstand what like a leftist or a Marxist would say by banning art, we're not going to burn the shit that's already been made. It's already been made. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go out and burn David Bowie and burn Mein Kampf. Like, it's there. I'm going to mm-hmm. read it. We're going to learn about it. And we're going to ban whatever looks like it. And you're not going to make mm-hmm. another fucking David Bowie album. <laughs> like, you're not going to make anything like that. That's what it means to be banned mm-hmm. art. By understanding it, then you understand the symbols like mm-hmm. by by engaging mm-hmm. with the art that has these dog whistles you mm-hmm. understand and you can hear them now mm-hmm. um and i think that's like the thing that people don't understand with the term dog whistle it's like it literally mm-hmm. means like no one else can hear it mm-hmm. but Except once you can yeah you hear it and my so, ears like, go like there are Bowie <laughs> songs that i would like be reading about something and I'd be like, oh, I need to listen to this right now. That's how I listen to David Bowie. I go, oh, dog whistle. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and like kind of thinking about Todd Haynes and like how he he studied semiotics. So like mm-hmm. he understands like symbols and imagery and um, what these things mean. And, you know, 
it's not like you never make anything again that ever use you know evokes fascist imagery Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just understand why are they using it what are they using like who is making this why are they depicting this thing with this imagery like yeah it's you know not what I mean? about like, the lightning bolt it's not about not or having the lightning bolt or not having the lightning mm-hmm. bolt it's like what does the lightning bolt mean who is the lightning bolt hurting mm-hmm. it's like not really about what it looks like it's like who is this hurting mm-hmm. if it's hurting somebody and it's meant to like harm somebody i know that's really hard for people to understand like it's just a lightning bolt symbol yeah doesn't matter it's art that's meant to hurt somebody it should not be there yeah well and it's it's also like you know when it's used in like popular culture like star wars like star wars famously uses a lot of nazi imagery like fascist (laughs) imagery and so it's like okay well why are they using it who's making this like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's like who it's like who who are the who are the bad guys supposed to represent it's mm. like american imperialism but then sometimes it's like it gets a little wishy-washy you're Mm. like well the empire who are they you like if you're uh, if you're not (laughs) if you're not class conscious you're gonna be Mm. like fascism and and communism is the same Mm. they are the same and you're just gonna be like they look like like i remember literally seeing a new star wars movie and i was like it looks like north korea and now i'm like that's fucking stupid (laughs) yeah not north korea they want they want me to think that that's what it is but north korea or china right yeah that was velvet goldmine (laughs) song about blowjobs yeah i guess i guess i just want to say like obviously this movie is about um a white male gay experience neither (laughs) of the neither of us are men yeah (laughs) um so we can't represent this movie to you know its fullest extent and that impact but um yeah as two queer people who understand fascist symbolism and love camp and theater still important yeah Yeah. also i'd like to make it a point that like Todd Haynes, um, he's not like he likes David Bowie. Like, oh yeah, it's very apparent that he loves David Bowie. Like, yeah, and and he's unaware. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's funny because like David Bowie literally said like he said he didn't like the movie because he was like, why did you put this gay angle on glam rock? And it's like, Todd oh, Haynes, I give that all to you. Yeah, and it's like, no, don't do that, Todd. Todd, get away from that man. Like Todd, do not let David gaslight you. Like. What do you mean, like, you put the gay... Like, no, David Bowie did not put the gay in glam rock. Like, gay glam rockers like, um... Joe Briah. Yes, Joe Briah, who they use a lot of imagery to represent Brian Slade. He, um, he, um... He's, 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 he's like, like the the gay rock star. He's, like, openly gay, and they just, like, people in the U.S. hated it. Like, mm-hmm. the U.S. responded more to, like, horror glam, just like mm. Kiss and yeah. Alice Cooper, and, and the U.K., roses. like, yeah, yeah, and it's like, they, the U.S. is like, I don't want glitter, I want, I want clown men, but like, goth, 
killer clown. Yeah, it's like, man. I don't want glitter. But he also like did this like mm. whole mime performance by himself and like taped mm. it and it's like that's how he was trying to get famous back in the day was like by, <laughs> by being a mime. <laughs> like, oh yes, the famous route to fame being a mime. <laughs> but he's he's you know, he's a revolutionary mime because he speaks. Why'd you have to go on a rant about Jojo Rabbit? <laughs> Like Myra Breckenridge. <laughs> um, she who shall not be named on this pod because we've yet to make an episode we of Myra will Breckenridge. We'll make a Myra Breckenridge we podcast. Will. I, I, I swear it. <laughs> um,